Welcome to the Question Community Broadcast. The Question is a new disruptive community that provides a gathering place for those who wonder about our complex selves, our complex world, our complex universe. We are a non-religious and inclusive community that explores the many questions surrounding truth in order to encourage you on the important journey to find your own answers. The Question Community gathers every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary, starting at 7. Information on the community is available at our website, www.thequestion.ca. You can also join the community online at our Facebook page, which is The Question, and on Twitter, at TQCom, with two M's. You're now going to hear some highlights from our community gathering, where the question is asked through original arts and music, as well as thought-provoking presentations. This is Frederick Tamagi. So, at last month's community gathering, I shared the recent phenomenon of science, searching for the truth of things inside the imagination and mystery of myth. Shared remarkable stories of this new community of scientists and explorers, in the fields of archaeomythology, archaeoastronomy, medical archaeology, and geomythology. Uh, all have gradually transformed what was once a one-dimensional wall between science and myth into a multi-dimensional window that allows scientific principles, uh, recorded history, human imagination, and cultural identity to exchange freely between modern and ancient mankind. Now, this free and fearless exchange of the modern and the ancient in order to better understand the nature of truth is like exploring a new dimension of living memories rather than merely visiting an old museum of dead artifacts. Opening the window between science and myth is like first drawing an accurate factual outline in black and white and then suddenly discovering an unlimited palette of new colors, tones, and hues with which to articulate a deeper identity. The courage of the scientific community to examine myth as a new alternative source in the ongoing search for truth contradicts our modern attitudes toward myth. But for many of us, the outright rejection of myth is our way of being scientific and safely segregated from the ignorance and the backwardness of our ancestors. And as I said last month, declaring something a myth is not a very kind expression of our deep cynicism, even mockery about what we judge to be absurd beliefs especially those beliefs that emanate from an ancient culture. Like so much in our world of polarizing ideological conflict, we are sadly becoming conditioned to our own narrow reality and the conditioned reflex to judge anything outside of that reality. But for the new scientists of geomythology, archaeoastronomy, and the like, declaring something a myth uh, implies neither the truth nor the falseness of an ancient story. This is because scientists understand that for ancient cultures, a myth by definition was considered true uh, in that it embodied that particular culture's way of looking at the world and making sense of the world in their time. Like I said earlier, the true by definition view of engaging myth is in direct opposition to our very popular, very simple, and very judgmental view that myths are always false by definition. Our natural reflex is to reject myth as an impossibility. The reflex of new science is to embrace myth as a mystery. Now, last month we were introduced to this new way, a thoughtful way of engaging myth. Because when thinkers engage myth as mystery, they cease to be judges. 
And which would you rather be, a judge or a thinker? This will always be one of the most important questions of the question. Last month, we shared some incredible, colorful stories of myth and imagination. And for a while, we were able to enjoy a temporary suspension of belief, just as we were enjoying popcorn. Angela was eating popcorn tonight, too. And watching the latest fantasy movie. Some of you may remember that I spoke of mythical Celtic giants building an 80-mile bridge of stone to connect Ireland and Scotland. And you'll remember the ancient First Nations story of how the great creator raised a thousand-foot mountain just to rescue two young indigenous boys from the claws of a very hungry giant bear. Now, these wonderful stories were admittedly a bit of a setup to illustrate just how dismissive we are of our ancient ancestors and their fantastic, unbelievable myths. It's totally normal that most of us are just comfortable passing the popcorn on the safe side of the wall that separates science and myth. But when the wall becomes a window that allows the modern principles of science to interact with the ancient perspective of myth, we are challenged. We are confronted, no longer by a myth to reject, but instead by a mystery to explore. And of course, by many more great questions to ask. Last month, I invited everyone through this new window to re-examine the myth of the Oracle of Delphi, the fabled cult of priestesses that influenced ancient Greece for almost 500 years. It was reported that the Oracle possessed unearthly powers of prophecy while under the influence of mysterious vapors emanating from cracks in the floor of her temple. These vapors would envelop the Oracle, causing her to enter into a kind of hypnotic trance and even violent physical convulsions. From out of these mysterious trances, the oracle would prophesy in an unknown spiritual language, which could only be interpreted by her sacred retainers. The violent convulsions that often accompanied the trances took a severe physical toll on generations of oracles, many of whom died very prematurely and very young. The oracle of Delphi is part factual history and part entertaining myth when viewed from our side of the wall. You might have noticed some of the, uh, the images from the movie 300 here. It took almost 3,000 years for the wall to become a window. But in the 1980s, a geomythology team, which included a forensic chemist and even a toxicologist, began to investigate the site of ancient Delphi. They discovered evidence of deep subterranean fault lines directly underneath the temple ruins, which were consistent with historical reports of seismic activity in the area. A further geological analysis of the underground structures also detected a zone of hydrocarbon compounds in close proximity to the fault lines. And finally, small traces of ethylene gas were present in various underground spring water sources close to the site. These scientific findings became a remarkable geomythology chain of evidence that transformed the fantastic myth of the oracle into a kind of fact-based mystery that read something like this. Frequent seismic shifting of the fault lines generated sufficient pressure to explain the cracks in the floor of the temple. This same seismic pressure also created intense underground friction with sufficient heat to cause chemical reactions in the deeper hydrocarbon zone. These chemical reactions may have produced large quantities of ethylene gas. These ethylene gas vapors, willingly inhaled by the oracle, 
would cause severe physical and psychological symptoms, ranging from euphoria to disorientation, to nerve and muscle dysfunction, to speech and cognitive impairment, and even hallucinations and seizures with prolonged exposure. Of course, the geomythology theory of the oracle cannot be completely proven, but opening the window between science and myth has transformed the oracle into a mystery laced with truth. That's pretty important. I also shared an even more provocative story of the Cyclops, the giant one-eyed wonder, first mentioned in the Greek epic poem, The Odyssey. I confess to experiencing a huge imagination jolt when I discovered a theory put forward by archaeomythologists and medical archaeologists that demonstrated how the mythical Cyclops could have been factually conceived by the Greek poet Homer as he created his epic story of men and gods. The jolt was another fact-based chain of evidence that began with a very rare, very horrific, and always fatal real-world birth defect called cyclopia. Cyclopia really occurs in the real world in approximately one out of every 100,000 human pregnancies. So reports of a rare cyclopic birth somewhere in ancient Greece might have inspired Homer to envision his cyclops. But what would have suggested to him that a whole fantastic race of one-eyed giants might exist? Remember that ancient Greece is considered the birthplace of modern logic. Well, archaeomythologists point to the discovery of strange giant skulls, first in Europe and then on the Mediterranean island of Crete, as the possible source of the logic behind the myth. The island of Crete has been proposed as the very site of the Odyssey's mythical account of the giant cyclops. Now, this upgraded chain of evidence suggests that the ancient Greeks had a cultural memory that included some startling cases of fetal cyclopia, as well as random reports of giant one-eyed skulls being found on nearby islands. Homer may well have been inspired by this chain of evidence and perhaps didn't think of his poetic giant as much of a myth at all. And ask yourself, if you were confronted with the same chain of evidence 2,700 years ago, would you just laugh off the Cyclops as a crazy myth? This is also pretty important. This is Joel Pearson. Well, starting off, uh, this first song I'm going to play is called In Your Eyes. I wrote it uh, quite a while back. I just got married and, um, you know, I have a lot of artistic and personal struggles constantly because I'm a very, I don't know, I want to say very in touch with the, with, uh, with the world, what's going on in the world. And I, I still have these issues to this day. Um, not really issues, I guess, being, being aware, but... Um, I wrote this song uh, about when my wife and I we first got married and uh, we were having trouble finding where we were in the world and what we were supposed to be doing and stressing out all these really, all the big things that we should be like worrying about the little things, which is, you know, we have each other, we're happy. Um, and in the end of the day, that's what's, that was what important to us. And so this is about when we'd be questioning, you know, why, why is it four in the morning? Why are we walking around? Then we used to live in Mission. You know, why are we here? Why, who, are, who are we, basically? Um, and this song touches on that, and it's called In Your Eyes, and it goes a bit like this.
quiet night All I hear is breath in it Comes and goes Dreams keep me awake By starlight I wait And I think of troubled times you we go And these troubled eyes see your love again. Your lullaby will keep the night. And these troubled eyes they find your love again. Your love will keep me through the nights. You. We've been chased by the wolves for our love, they'll pray. Chased through the forest by night. Stood by the fire side, and yeah, we felt the burn. It turned the night into day. And you know how I always say, I never leave. My side, oh, never leave my side. Another restless night. You wake with me and your troubled eyes are full of tears. Rest your head against my head. We'll walk the night away. Electric candlelight will light the streets again. And I'll hold you close through all the And I know that everything will work out in the end Just believe with me Here we go
chased by the wolves for our love they'll pray chased to the forest by the night we've stood by the fireside and yeah we felt the burn turn the Here's the thing. It turns out that those giant one-eyed skulls did belong to an ancient ancestor, a prehistoric ancestor of the elephant, a creature we named Dinotherium giganteum, which means terrible beast. But this wasn't actually known until the late 19th century, 2,600 years after the Odyssey was written. So naturally, with the benefit of centuries of scientific research backing us up, we could smugly dismiss this whole giant cyclops nonsense as fantasy perpetrated by an ignorant ancient people. And we could go back to simply enjoying our modern comic book fantasies uh, of the cyclops. Scientists who explore the open window between science and myth are making the case that we cannot simply dismiss every myth as nonsense. They argue that we should instead engage the unique sense of perspective and the unique possibility of truth that may be embedded inside the myth. These scientific explorers are showing us a new way to study myth, not as an absolute untruth, but as an imaginative synthesis of ancient perspective, factual provocation, and possible truth. Both the Oracle and the Cyclops are examples of this imaginative synthesis. These myths are a kind of surreal imagination with real human experience embedded within. Now, when we've been so used to staring at the wall of our conditioning, it's always a shock to the system to suddenly have a new window appear before us. The light of alternative knowledge that streams through the new opening may temporarily overwhelm and even blind us, like moving abruptly from a dark room into daylight. An established cynical world may even mock us for being affected by the sudden alternative daylight as a kind of naive intellectual blindness to real facts. Now, as a community of questioners, the cynicism of the world should prompt us to ask whether or not the real intellectual blindness is caused by the shadow of a wall or the light of a window. You might now be questioning whether your original definition of myth fits with the newer definition that I've just offered up. If your original definition was something like myth is a fantasy or myth is an untruth, then a revised definition might be something like myth is a perspective, or myth is a backdrop, or ideally myth is a reason to question. And if you're willing to revise your personal definition of myth, let's telescope a little further beyond the window into the dimension of the possible. Now, by the way, you're probably wondering what this is. This, this is a picture of a 3,000-year-old Egyptian hieroglyph found inside the tomb of an ancient Egyptian king. But take a moment to examine the symbols. Pretty interesting, right? Is this fantasy 
or a reason to question? I wonder. For many people, telescoping further beyond the window between science and myth invariably reaches into the dimension of religion. Now, we are intentionally a non-religious community, but in any discussion of the wall or the window between science and myth, we can't really avoid discussing sacred narratives or religious texts. In fact, in our particular discussion of science and myth, it might be overly prejudicial of us not to explore religion as one of the most important and controversial interchanges between science and myth. Now, we're not here to mediate between those that view religion as absolutely true or absolutely untrue. I do think we can ask whether so-called religious myths can be viewed with the same new science lens as the other myths that we've shared recently. Remember, it's, it's a thoughtful view through a new lens of ancient perspective, factual provocation, and possible truth. Now, there's no shortage of important historic religious literature to examine through this new lens. Uh, the Bible, the Quran, the Talmud, the Buddha Vakana, the Hindu Vedas, uh, the Tao Te Ching, and so many other ancient texts still deeply inspire a huge percentage of modern humanity. The perpetual question of whether this inspiration is actually for good or for bad is undoubtedly important in any personal search for truth. But for tonight, we'll suspend the whole good or bad thing, okay? In favor of just seeing what can be seen through the open window. At the last gathering, we shared stories of geomythology, archaeomythology, and medical archaeology. So now I'd like to explore a famous story of the Bible as an intriguing story of archaeoastronomy. Now, you may remember from last month that archaeoastronomy is the study of how ancient people understood phenomena in the sky, how they articulated and interacted with those phenomena, and how those phenomena inspired their culture and mythology. The ancient phenomena that I'm going to talk about tonight is the Star of Bethlehem. Now, the story of the star is one of the most significant in the whole Bible, not just as an extraordinary standalone mythic phenomenon, which it is, but also as a trigger event for the literal birth of a whole spiritual movement that now influences over two billion people worldwide. Now, without predispositions or prejudice, archaeoastronomers have engaged the story of the star based on their own revised definition of myth. As a valid ancient perspective, as a scientific and historical backdrop, and as an invitation to explore. Now, we'll follow along with their investigation for a while. It's a little bit like a forensic CSI investigation, I think, although I'm saying that without ever actually having watched CSI. Does anyone watch CSI? Okay. <laughs> Just feels cooler being a detective, doesn't it? Okay. Now, where everyone must start, including our archaeoastronomers, is the single account of this amazing star in the Bible itself, okay, from Matthew. Hope you can read this and just follow along. From Matthew 2, 2 to 10. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. 
Well, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem. Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. This is the one account of this in the Bible. So the ancient crime scene testimony from the Bible focuses on three key statements. From the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, and we have seen his star in the east when it rose. This is part one of this presentation. Part two will be continued in the next podcast episode. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in joining the Question community, we meet every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary starting at 7. You can participate in the online discussion on our Facebook page, which is The Question, or on Twitter at TQCom. That's at T-Q-C-O-M-M. Our website is www.thequestion.ca. Thanks again for listening, and remember that our answers are only possible because of our questions.